Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We're going to begin our reading this morning in Romans chapter 8. We're there again, and we'll begin in verse 3. We finished up in verse 2 last week. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. Let's read together. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, I love these next two words, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He wasn't sinful, but He came here in flesh like mine and yours, flesh that gets sick, tired, weary. He came here in that kind of flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In a body just like ours, he used that body on the cross to condemn sin, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. We see that in our world every time we read a paper, turn on the news. We see those that are just not even capable of obeying God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So much for receiving the Holy Ghost as a second work of grace sometime later after you're saved. That's been preached, and it's not true, and it's not biblical. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, you're not saved. You're not waiting on something to hit you one night that's super exciting, that takes you to the next level of salvation. That's simply not a biblical idea we just read. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, but to live According, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. In one more verse, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer 
with Him so that we may also be one day glorified with Him. What I'm about to say may be the most important words I've ever preached in my life. I hate to tell you that it's just these first few words that I consider to be so important. I don't want you to think, well, I guess it'll be downhill after a few minutes then. But I want to open up with a statement that God's put on my heart. We've talked about this some when we do worldview studies. Worldview is how we view the world, how we look at God's creation, how we understand God, how we understand ourselves, and all of that. I want to get to some real basic ideas, first of all. There is what we call reality. Reality is how things are. That's what reality is. It's not complicated. It's just how things are as determined by God. Reality doesn't jump through hoops for me. I don't create my own. I can hate it. Uh, I can, may not like it. I might want it to change. Uh, I'm sure if I had just jumped from an airplane and my parachute was malfunctioning, I would probably love to uh, uh, tamper with reality at that point. I just have to beg God to do that. But I can tell you, reality is just how things are. You don't create your own. I know there are people who claim that from Eastern mysticism, there are ways to create your own reality, but if you'll notice, those people still look both ways before they cross a road. There's truth. Another basic concept. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. You can't have your own. You can't embrace a personalized version of it if it does not correspond to reality then it is not true we are sitting in a church building called cornerstone fellowship this morning we are all here that is reality and the statement i just made is true to try to make a statement otherwise would just not be true I may not like it, truth does not conform to what I like, but that's too bad. It has to correspond with reality. So if I have a jar here of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, jelly beans, I could ask you which jelly bean in the jar tastes the best, and we might get a variety of answers, but if I ask you how many jelly beans are in the jar, we can give a lot of answers, but there's only one answer that's correct. And I would say this, especially to the younger generation, the sooner you learn the difference between those two questions, the better off you'll be in life, friend. There's some things that they're a matter of taste, but there are other things that are a matter of truth. They're not the same just because I want them to be. And then there's the concept of knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to communicate truth. I'm not sure exactly. I think about 120 miles an hour, something like that, while we're on the motif of falling out of airplanes. I think that's terminal velocity. I'm not sure. Hope I never experienced it. But you can only fall so fast. That's the good news if your parachute doesn't open. Remember that. You can only go so fast. But there is a specific number for that. It's just reality because that's how God made it. And if you state it correctly, then that will be truth. And your ability to state it correctly is called knowledge. And then last of all, there are beliefs. This is where I wanted to get to with this. Beliefs only require that someone believes it. It's the weakest point in this whole list. It is the weakest concept in the whole list that 
we have shared with you, but yet most people would consider it the strongest because we hear things like we really need to, to know what we believe and stand firm for what we believe. And you get points for that nowadays in our world. But what if you are believing the wrong things? Beliefs are worthless. Beliefs within themselves mean nothing because you can believe something that is absolutely not true. And just because you really believe it doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it the thing that you should do. I'll give you an example. 9-11, there were people who thought it was the right thing to do to fly airplanes into buildings in this country. Well, they knew what they believed and they stood firm on what they believed and they were willing to die for what they believed. But what they believed was wicked. And it was wrong. Beliefs, that's what makes us Hindu. That's what makes us Buddhist. Hindus have tons of God. Buddhists have no God at all. It, beliefs is what makes people Muslim. And by the way, beliefs are, are what makes people Christian. And when I say Christian, I don't mean in the born-again sense with a relationship with God. I mean you have just embraced a set of beliefs that the world considers Christian. You may be Christian in the Catholic sense, or you might be Christian in the Lutheran sense, or, or you might be a Presbyterian but by the way, beliefs are also what makes us Baptists. But it has nothing to do with whether or not you truly have a relationship with God. Those are just beliefs. We can embrace a set of beliefs and be whatever it is we want to be. But let me make this point. Outside of all of that, I couldn't find a website this week. Maybe you can. I, I don't know. But I couldn't find one that would venture a guess as to how many religions there are in the world. I doubt anybody knows. There's new ones that spring up every single day. But if you take all of the religions that I just talked about, Christianity just simply as a belief system, Put all of them together. Over here, outside of all of that, stands the Creator of the universe. And when He created this place, He put these beings on the earth called human beings. And He put them here because He wanted to have a relationship with them. He predates religions. He is before there was any of that. I know people love to comfort themselves with the idea that, well, if you had grown up, Mike, in Pakistan, you'd probably be a Muslim. And it, the idea is, well, that is as good as anything else. Maybe if I had grown up somewhere else, I'd be a, a Buddhist or, or whatever. If I'd grown up in San Francisco, no telling what I'd be. One's as good as the other. No. One of these over here is as good as the other. Really. I don't care if you are a, a Christian in the sense that you embrace Christian values and you believe that the Bible is truth or whatever. You can have all of that and not have a relationship with the Creator. Before any of that came along, there was the Creator of the universe and He had these created beings and He had a relationship with them. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you the instant that religion over here was born in the universe. It happened in Genesis 3. And it happened when the created beings that the Creator made, it happened when they stopped talking to God and started a conversation about God. 
When the serpent said to Eve, has God really said? Has he really said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? All of a sudden, Eve's not talking to God. She's talking about God. Some speculation going on. Some personal ideas are rising to the surface. Boy, religion is, 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 is crowning at its birth right now. It's about to be here. And then she tells the serpent something interesting. She says, God told us not to eat of it. Then she said, He told us not to touch it. If we did, we would die. We have no record of God ever telling them, if you touch it, you will die. Maybe He did. Maybe He didn't. Bingo! Now we got denominations. We got the touchers and the non-touchers. They fight with each other. You see how it all came about? By the time God revisited His once perfect world, religion had gained a foothold. You see, I, I, think, I think having a direct relationship with the Creator proved difficult. It really did. That's what led to the speculation. Why would he put a tree in the garden if he didn't want us to eat from it? Is he trying to hide something from us? A relationship with God. What I'm talking about over here, and I know I'm pointing at a lot of things that you don't see. Just try to imagine them. Religion's over here, creator's over here, okay? But I can just tell you, when God created those beings and he put them in that garden, it was before any of that had ever taken place. There was no such thing as religion going on. There was none of that. So when God put them there in the garden and He had fellowship with Him, it says He walked with them. Halak is a Hebrew word. It means more than you just going down the street with your feet. It means a way of life. Peripateo is the word in the Greek. And in our culture, it means you're going somewhere without a car. But in their culture, it was a way of life. We talk about walking with Christ, walking with God. It means that you live every day of your life in a relationship with God. That's what God wanted. That's what He wanted. But you see, religion, what, what made it so interesting? What made it, what made it so tempting that Eve, right in the face of God, and Adam, oh, I'm not picking on her, but why would Adam and Eve disobey God? for this new thing that, that was a mixture of, of, of what God said and some of what they thought. Well, having a relationship with the Creator means it's all about Him. But religion can be all about me. It can be me wondering what God's trying to hide and telling me not to eat from that tree. Satan filled in the blanks, remember? You'll be like God. You'll be like God. What was God like? Well, nobody told God what to do. That's already sounding good, right? Nobody tells God when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat, when to whatever. I know none of that really it sounds ridiculous when you put God in that context, but that is exactly what religion did we started speculating about what God had said and we mixed it with our own ideas and now we have so many religions in this world with so many ideas you can't count them all well bottom line is this God wants to have a relationship with us and I know it's gotten caught up in the mishmash of religion but I can tell you right now God wanting to have a relationship with the people He created is not a religion, friend. Religions are 
people reaching up to God. But Christianity, as biblically explained, is God reaching down to us. It is very different. Don't throw it in the melting pot over there of all of those other faiths. That's what people love to do. We love doubts. Oh man, I know I've said this before, but we love saying things like we don't really know. We don't really know who's saved, who's not saved. Paul just said right here, the sons of God are the ones who walk with God. It's not that hard to figure out. But boy, religion can be so much more desirable when we can make it somewhat about us. Because God created us in His image and He was one who could choose to do whatever He liked and being in His image, we were able to as well. And that became our demise. That's why we're in Romans. I've looked for excuses in the last few weeks to go somewhere else. This is a tough book. But this is what God... This is where God wants us. And I'll tell you what makes it even tougher if you don't mind me shedding a little private matter with you. I went to bed last night with one sermon ready. got up at 4 o'clock this morning and prepared a different one. Because the verses I was going to use as an introduction, that was the verses that God wanted me to preach today. Yeah. You say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, next time I let you call Sharon at 6 o'clock in the morning and tell her that the sermon outlines change, okay? She's sweet about it. Last week we preached about our freedom in Christ. Today we're going to talk about our life in Christ. Next week we're going to talk about our hope in Christ. What is life in Christ really like? Once we get all of the religious garbage away from it, all the similarities, once we dispel all of that, once we realize that, no, it's not just whatever you want to be. No, there is all these things, and then there's the truth of God. Once you get there, what is that life really like? And Paul begins to describe it for us. First of all, he says we have a new freedom. We have a new freedom in this relationship that we have with God that we wouldn't have with religion. First of all, we are free from the death of sin. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's hard for a lot of people. They start right there getting it mixed up with what's going on over here. They start to think that, well, now that business of God having to satisfy his own wrath by killing his own son, that sounds like these Canaanites over here, or these Hittites, or Moabites, or, or some of those other ites over here. That sounds like some of those Old Testament deities, and, and, and that just doesn't sound like God to me. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, if I were God... Boy, he leans over the rail up there. I'm certain when we start sentences like, well, if I were God. You and I. We were laughing about it this morning, Cassie and I. We get to a certain age in life. One day you're young and the next thing you know you're turning the radio down so you can see better when you're driving. Yes, when those beings say, God, I'll tell you what I think. Oh, I bet he tells the angels, shh, got a wisdom nugget coming. I got to hear this. I want to tell you, God is not domesticated and he's not capricious. And what do I mean by that? Well, number one, God doesn't think like we think. That's one of the things that started religion. We had to domesticate God. And when you domesticate an animal, you take that animal and you train it and teach it and, and, and you, you break it down to the point that it can be tamed and you could actually domos his house. We've talked about that. But 
you, you get it to where you can bring it in-house. You get it to where you can live with the thing. And boy, the animals that people domesticate nowadays, they just blow my mind. It's amazing. But uh, some of them I don't think really quite need to be. But they try. God is not to be domesticated. Don't try to make God like you. Don't make him more user-friendly. I can tell you there'll be some things that scares you to death. Guess what? We're all going to have friends and family that go to hell. That's one of the first temptations to domesticate God and start saying, well, now, I just think God would whatever. I understand. I don't want to think about it either, but it's the truth. Not everybody is going to be saved. That's just an inconvenient truth. Don't try to make God like you. And secondly, he's not capricious, which means that he can just decide, I'll do whatever I want to do. No, he had to come and sacrifice his life on the cross for sin, take on flesh. And, and so he could feel the pain of that scourge and the nails in his hand. He had to come and die. Because in 1 John it says he's not only faithful to forgive us of our sins, but he is what? He is just to forgive us of our sins. He is justified in forgiving us because he didn't go, well, let's see here. It says only death can pay for sin, but I'm God, guess what? I'm going to change that. Somebody give me a pen. What it sounded like. That's Old Testament. I couldn't even get people to read that thing. I'm just going to change it. It's not who God is, friend. That's who you and I are. Don't try to turn him into you. Because if he gives us his righteousness and he can throw it over here, his righteousness is not worth any more than my righteousness. His righteousness is perfect. Because he held himself to that same standard. It was his nature to be righteous. That's why when he gives us his righteousness as a gift of salvation, I can tell you right now, that is a pure righteousness. That's why a sorry, worthless, no-account sinner like some of y'all thought I was going to say me, didn't you? I say me every day. Tired of saying me. Time you shared some of this depravity. A worthless, sorry, no account, braggadocious sinner like me. That's how I can spend eternity with God because that righteousness He gives me, He preserved it, not by jumping around at every little whim and, 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 and throwing His omnipotence around. No, His holiness superseded all of that and God says, I keep my own rules. He's faithful and just to forgive us. We're free from the death of sin. We're free from the dominion of sin so that the requirement of the law, verse 4, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Sarki is the word for in the flesh, it really means a life that's just dominated by the dictates and desires of human nature. If you were walking in the flesh, here's the only law you've got. Do I want to do it? That's the only thing that restrains you. As long as you have the desire to do it, then my goodness, you should have the freedom to do it. And that's what our world is saying nowadays. I mean, it is backfiring big time. And it's turning into an absolute disaster. But if desire is the only law you intend to follow, then I promise you chaos is not far behind. When we ask ourselves, and I'm sure you have, how in the world can people act so unbecoming? Boy, that's a sweet word for it. I, I, this week, I, you know, I... I there's no need to even go down the list, so I won't. But I just saw this week. They're, they're trying to pass some kind of legislation somewhere in some school or make a vote or whatever to keep drag queens 
from coming to their elementary school and teaching their children in elementary school about sex. How in the world where did how did we get there? I'll tell you how we got there. People in this world that don't know God, their only stipulation is desire. If I were born one gender and want to be something else, I'll be whatever I want to be. And we try so hard. We've gotten into this business of, of trying so hard to recognize everybody's desire. You can knock somebody in front of a moving subway and kill them. And the debt for such is pretty cheap nowadays. Because we're even trying to recognize your desire. We feel more human, sophisticated. We feel like our society's moved up a couple of clicks. Some have even advocated, let's just get rid of prisons altogether. It, it, it really makes sense when you put it in the light of people that walk according to the flesh. We have confused flesh with freedom. We think it's freeing to be able to do whatever it is that I want to do. And it, it, it is not. It's, it's, you just think about it. What if somebody forced another person to dress up and drag and go out and make an absolute idiot of themselves? You and I would be so angry. We would be remembering World War II, would we not? Where they stripped people naked in public and made spectacles out of them. Well, these people that are doing this, I want to tell you, they have a Hitler in their life as well, and he's calling all the shots. It's called human depravity and desire. And it's jerking them around as well. And even though they look like I'm doing whatever it is I want to do, no, no. Their taskmaster is much, he's much more vicious than a Hitler could be. Their flesh is calling shots. And it's making them look like idiots. It's sad. The reason I'm saying all that is because <laughs> there's a way out of that. There's a way out and it's Jesus Christ. Get back over here. The Creator wants to have a relationship with you. He, 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 he wants to transform your life. Our life in Christ, first of all, we have a new freedom. Secondly, we have a new focus. He says, for those in verse 5, according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He didn't mention the Spirit in chapter 7, but in chapter 8, he mentions it twenty. Times. He has really made a shift here. Because once you are living in this flesh, before God transforms your life, some of you may have gotten saved when you were very young. I, I understand that. You may not have memories of, of when you walked in the flesh. But if you do, you will remember days where it was like this. How I see it is how it is. And that's just how it is. You argued about stuff you were wrong about, but you looked like a fool, but you couldn't help it. You were walking according to the flesh. How it affects me is how I see it. Not whether it's right or wrong or godly or biblical, it's how does it affect me. We have people that are going to go to the voting booths here in a couple of weeks, and they are going to vote for people who promise to kill more innocent infants in the womb. And the next Sunday, they will be in church. Why? Because when you walk in the flesh, how it affects you, that's really all you look at. Marriage, well, if it makes me happy. <laughs> and i, I got to just pause here for a second. When people come to me for marriage counseling and the first words out of their mouth is, I'm just not happy. You, you married this person to make you happy? You, you, 
You burden this individual sitting beside you to make you happy? My goodness. If you got married because you wanted to be happy, you're as dumb as my brother who went in the Navy because he was tired of being told what to do. You've bought an airline to get free peanuts. It's a wonder God doesn't listen to us more, isn't it? My goodness. Church. What's a good church? It's the one I like. If it's something I kind of bolt, I, I, I tell you, I like going to that such and such church, whatever church it might be. I hear it all the time. I like going there because I can be myself. I think you forgot something. Being yourself's what got you in trouble to start with. We're not help, here to help you wreck the rest of your life. Like churches, if I like them, they're good. Friends, is, we'll go on, but we'll stop. Here, we measure them by their, how they react to me. They don't react like I think they ought to. I just... Toss them to the side because it's all about me. That's when you are walking according to the flesh. But when you are walking according to the Spirit, life doesn't have to suit you. You know that my life needs to suit God. And you know the bottom line, and here's a cool secret about it. Here's the profound secret about it. If you live your life according to God and not according to yourself, you will be way happier. Somebody say amen. I'm sick and tired of people acting like, well, I want to get saved, but I'm just not ready. I, I, I think some of them think, well, I want to have a little more fun because once I get saved, there won't be any more fun. Yeah, afraid you're right. That waking up in a pile of vomit from an overdose of cocaine, those days will be over. Having a drug dealer burn your house down, you probably won't get to experience that excitement much anymore. You may not even get that 15th DUI if you get saved today. What a miserable life, right? Man, freedom in Christ. Greatest thing could ever happen to you. You're not worried about dying. You died already. It's not ever about my truth. It's not even about my own life anymore. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, Paul said. You get a new freedom, a new focus. You get a new future as well, number three. It says, for the mind, in verse 6, set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. And just quickly, I'll give you these. If you want to know what life set on the flesh is really like, what, what comes from that, just go to Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Paul said there in the book of Galatians 19 and 20, he says, the fruits of the flesh, the fruits of walking in the flesh, the morality, impurity, sensuality. My goodness. Us men, if we're not careful, if we walk according to the flesh, every woman we see, we start thinking about how she looks instead of who she is, and it just seems like it just permeates your life and, and, and impurity when you walk in all of those things. And it's not just men, but I can tell you, immorality, impurity, and insensuality will dominate your days. Idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, and by the way, the word sorcery is the word pharmakos in the Greek. And we get our word pharmacy from it because sorcerers could conjure up all kinds of things to make you feel all kinds of ways. We look like we're going to kill 120,000 this year. Overdosing on pharmakos. Trying to feel something different. Enmities, that's hatred. Some people hate everything and everybody. Strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, 
drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to move on. Last of all, we get a new freedom, a new focus, a new future. We get a new family. We get a new family. In this family, it comes with three things that are also brand new. Number one, a new identity. I love some of these crime shows. and I, I like it when they tell somebody, if you testify, we'll give you a new identity. You won't even be the same person anymore. I'm not sure how far human beings can do that, but I know for a fact how far God can take it. I know personally what can happen when you, in verse 14, become one of the sons of God. And he says this happens. He, Paul uses the idea of adoption. Uh, Huithesia is a word. Huios is the word for son. Huithesia is the word for adoption. And it wasn't a Judaistic idea, but it was certainly a Roman idea. And Paul understood that. And let, let me just tell you quickly, when Paul says we are adopted into the family of God, we become sons of God. He did not use that word lightly because in Paul's culture, and he would have understood this very, very well. There's what is called the patria protestas. That is the power of the father. A son never would grow beyond the regard of his father. I don't care how old you were, you did what your daddy said. My daddy must have been Roman. But if you were put up for adoption, this is what had to happen in Paul's culture. There was a first step called the Mansipatio. The Mansipatio was this, the original father, perhaps the biological father at this point, would go to the adopting father and he would sell his son to the adopting father. And then he would buy him back. And then he would sell him to the adopting father a second time. And then he would buy him back. And then he would sell him to the adopting father the third time. And the third time he would not buy him back. Now this is Roman law. This is what it took to adopt a son. And once the father had adopted this child, the new father... Then he had to go through what was called the vindicatio. Had to be vindicated. The new father would go to a magistrate. And before that magistrate, he had to be sworn in. He had to be recognized officially as the new legal father of that child. And I love this. I'm not much on legal jargon, but I can tell you I like these things. When you are adopted, think about being adopted by God. All ties to the previous relationship is severed. You really have a new family. All previous debts you owed are canceled. An adopted child had full privileges. As a matter of fact, he had full privileges and all the responsibilities of a natural child. And while a father could take his natural child and disinherit him, he could never disinherit his adopted child. The adopted child was going to get it. And the father, the new father, has full authority in that child's life. Just one more quick thing. Let me just tell you this. You're not asleep if you are. Your eyes are open. You had to get seven people to go with you because you had to have seven witnesses 
that would stand before the magistrate. And they, for the rest of their lives, if called upon, would have to go under oath and say that, yes, you are the father of this child. Maybe the father died, and the kids that are left are wanting to leave the adopted one out. No, 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 no. There were seven witnesses, one of which could clear all of that up legally. I love this part. Who are my witnesses as far as being a child of God? Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How cool is that? A new identity, a new intimacy. Verse 15, he says, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is an Aramaic term. Sometimes we say it means daddy. It really means more than that. But it is two things. It is a very intimate term. It's the difference between our word dad and our word father. Um, When my kids come to me and go, Father... I know they're about to ask me something stupid. I'm Papa. Now that I'm Papa to the grandkids, I'm Papa to everybody. Now, I don't mind that. I love being Papa. It's an intimate term. I want my kids to have that with me. God wants you and I to have that with Him. Three times Abba Father comes up. Because it not only means in the Bible, in the New Testament, three times, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the book of Mark, it comes up here, and it comes up in the book of Galatians. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ is crying out, Abba, Father, because Abba, Father, was an Aramaic term that not only signified intimacy, it also signified obedience. As a matter of fact, when Isaac looked at Abraham and said, Father, And he would begin to question him about the sacrifice and and where is it going to come from? He used the Hebrew version of this word, abib. It signifies intimacy and obedience. That's the kind of relationship we have, a new intimacy, new identity, and then last of all, a new inheritance. Verse 17, and if children, heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs, with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. Did you get that? Whatever Christ gets, we get. If indeed we suffer with Him, well, now He didn't have to bring that up, did He? But, yep, we get that too. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Sometimes we do suffer. Sometimes that we get some of what Jesus got. I talked with one of my brothers for a good while Wednesday night after our men's study. We talked about the ministry. You know, I'm so blessed. The first 18 years of my ministry, I was in very traditional churches, and a lot of things can go on in traditional churches that would never be allowed to go on here. There was not a group of elders. There was no one holding anybody accountable for anything. Preachers were run off not because they did bad things, but because people didn't like them anymore. And when more people didn't like you than did like you, then you were gone. Matter of fact, in Baptist churches, it was funny at one time, we used to be critical of Methodists because Methodists, every four years, United Methodists changed pastors. And we used to talk about it as Baptist preachers, how silly that was. Do you know for a long time the average stay of a Baptist pastor was 18 months? We weren't even staying four years. And we could. We were running for our life way before four years. We couldn't make it too. Man, ministry can be tough. It really can be. God has blessed us here at Cornerstone. I tell you what, an eldership paradigm of leadership is not only biblical, but it works. And, 
And, and man, there is accountability. It's not always easy. You have seen us walk through this here before several times if you've been here very long, but I can just tell you, bottom line is this, on its good day, ministry's tough. Ministry's tough. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross first. It'd be like seeing somebody walk through town with a casket. I think you'd know where they're headed. As odd as that would be, Jesus says, take up your casket and come follow me. Because you, if you're going to follow me, the only way to do it and not give up is you die to yourself to start. You die to how you see it, how you feel about it, how you want it, how you would like it to be, where you would like to serve. You die to all of that. But one of these days, I'm going to tell you, I don't know exactly how it will be, but in my mind, I just see God standing to his feet in heaven. I say, that's enough. Go get my bride. And bring her home. Now, as a groom at my first wedding, I'm going to be a bride at my next one. Now, that may be a visual you didn't want before lunch. You can lift the veil and kiss me if you want to. I don't care. That's right, Papa. going to be his pride that he loved and he gave himself for me and he's going to present me without spot or blemish how can that be so worthless such a sinner that's salvation that's the difference between all of this over here in relationship with God. Don't get the two mixed up. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. It has spoken to our hearts, God. I pray, Father, you would help us, Lord. Help us, Father, somehow or another to, to learn how to put the words together. Maybe... Maybe, God, we, we, we just are afraid or, or, or just don't really know how to describe why a relationship with you is not religion and why just any religion won't do. Help us with that, God. This world needs something real. It needs something far more than a set of beliefs. God, we need revival. We need transformation. We need something we can only get from you. That's what we pray for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.